Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. If you have a Bible, please could you go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to get there momentarily. Um, We're starting our new sermon series this morning, hashtag blessed, which we'll get into uh, from Matthew chapter 5. Um, But before we do that, if I just cast your mind back over the last three Sundays, what we did at the outset of this year, 2024, is we spent some time in Psalm 23, looking at the Lord being my shepherd and all the things that happened there. What our plan is at the moment, plans change, but this is the plan we've got at the moment. We're going to revisit that throughout the year. So we started beginning of the year to sort of frame where we're going. We're planning to come back to it in May. Uh, to look at some shepherding incidents from the life of David and then come back to it in September to look at Jesus being the good shepherd from John chapter 10. And so my encouragement to you is if you haven't heard the three sermons from the last three weeks, please go back and catch up with them because it would just help frame when we come back to it. It won't be kind of new for you. You'll have some foundation. So that's just my encouragement to you. If you're on kids work, you're away or whatever, just make sure you catch up on those. All right. What we're looking at today, new sermon series, Hashtag Bleds. We're doing it here uh, in, with the adults. We're also doing it, the kids and the youth are going to be doing it as well. So there'll be an opportunity if you've got little ones down there, um, you can talk to them about what they've been learning. And what we're going to be looking at, I felt the Lord speak to me last year about this. And so I've been sitting on it for quite a while. But um, it came out of the thing that you may, have, may or may not have seen on social media, this term hashtag bless, where someone puts a post up and they put a hashtag underneath it. I was curious because I'm like that, so I typed it into Facebook. And when I typed it in, I found 93 million posts with hashtag blessed on it. So I thought, oh wow, so it's quite prevalent. I was on the right lines. I then asked someone on Friday at our staff meeting, could they check? And they said it was now 94 million. So in the time, in the space of 10 days, it had gone up by a million posts. I then asked someone who's on Instagram, I'm not, I'm not really on Facebook, but I have an account, 151 million posts with hashtag blessed. And it's entered our common language. People talk about being hashtag blessed. It's something you see on social media, but it's also something that we see and hear in life. And people use it to refer to things like uh, a job promotion, a holiday in some exotic location, a new house, a new car, a new relationship, something good that has come into their life. Therefore, they are hashtag blessed. But it's not just social media. You might say, well, I'm not on social media. Good for you. I don't look at those kind of things. That's not. But actually, if we look around, this has been in the world for decades, way before social media came around. They felt we're blessed by God when something good happens to us, something good comes into our life. We associate God's blessings with the good things that happen to us. And this is just as true in the church. If something good happens, you think God's blessing you, life is good and everything's okay. But the problem is when that doesn't happen by our standards. And so... The things that are in our life that are good, that do come on us, are ultimately from God. We do say that, but actually that's not what God necessarily describes as blessing. We think hashtag blessed means when we get what we want in our life, the way we want it, when we want it, that makes us feel good. And that stands in odds with what the Bible says. And what we're going to be looking at in this series is what Jesus describes as hashtag blessed. And we're going to find it stands in odds with what the world calls 
hashtag bless. It might stand in odds with what you call hashtag bless. And what we're going to do as we look at this is we're going to hopefully realign our thinking and make sure it's in line with what the Bible says and what Jesus says first and foremost. So we're going to look at the first section of Matthew's, um, sorry, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, first section, verses 1 to 12, and this is known as the Beatitudes, and we're going to find out from the mouth of Jesus what it means to be hashtag blessed. And we're going to start by reading the passage, which will appear behind me. I will move to the side, and we will all read it together. So there's a few slides. So if I count us in... We'll do three, two, one, and then we will read the text. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, big idea of today's message is Jesus is describing here what it looks like for men and women to live in his kingdom. Jesus is describing here what it looks like for men and women to live in his kingdom. So the plan is this. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to give, give, basically give an introduction to the series. We're going to look at those first two verses. And then we're going to go through each of those Beatitudes one at a time, week by week. I will not be doing it alone. I've asked a bunch of guys to come and help me. Ben, Aaron, Paul, Matt and Rob will be coming to join me at various sermons to help deliver this. We're going to continue from now down to Mother's Day. We'll do Mother's Day, we'll have a break, do our Easter sermon series, and then we will come back after Easter and round this out. So that's where we're going. So we're going to go through each one of those in turn to look at what it means to be hashtag blessed by Jesus. Now let's give a little bit of context of this passage. We've read it. Where does it fit in with Matthew's Gospels? Now the Beatitudes that we've just read form the first part of the most famous sermon of Jesus, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount appears in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And so what we've seen is Jesus starts preaching um, this series um, this, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in the previous four chapters, what we've, ha- what we've seen happen is Matthew, the writer of the gospel, has set Jesus up as the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and the one who is coming to usher in God's kingdom. We've seen John the Baptist go out before him, and John the Baptist represents the Old Testament prophets. He's the last in the line of the Old Testament prophets. He's a bit crazy looking, 
And he's out in the desert eating locusts and wild honey, and he's calling men and women to repent. Jesus then comes on the scene, and Jesus is the one who is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, because Matthew has written that in his gospel in the first few chapters, in his birth, and all the things around it. There's the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus comes. He is baptized in water by John. He is then filled with the Holy Spirit. He then goes into the wilderness, where he is tempted by the devil. He then goes out and about, calling his first disciples and teaching what it means for the kingdom of God to come and praying for the sick and casting out demons. And so Jesus has come onto the scene and Matthew has set him up and saying he is the one who is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. He's come to bring in the kingdom of God. He's come to, to heal the sick. He's come to set free those who are afflicted. And as a result of that, many come to him. There is a buzz, there is a stirring. Crowds come to him and find out what's going on. Because in the Jewish thinking at the time, in the mind, they were living in a season of expectation. Because if you go right back to the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the garden in it. He put Adam and Eve and everything was good and right. But after that, everything has been going wrong for the human race. It multiplies and then God calls Abraham to himself says, I'm going to grow you and multiply you and make you a great nation. And that nation grows and multiplies. And we have Egypt, we have the Exodus, and then Moses leads them out of that into the promised land. And then that goes wrong, and they go into exile, and they come back. But there's this Jewish hope and expectation that the kingdom of God will one day come. Because the prophets have been talking about it. They've had great heights. David, Solomon, mighty kings leading the nation. Joshua took them to the promised land, but they've had incredible failures. In the season of the judges, in the exiles, the destruction of the northern kingdom, the destruction of the southern kingdom, it's all gone horribly wrong. But they are now living in this expectation. Ezra and Nehemiah have brought them out of exile back to the land, but unfortunately now the Romans are there and they're oppressing them. And it's just like, where is the hope? When is the kingdom of God going to be restored? When is the kingdom of God going to come and it's all going to get changed and God's going to be ruling, God's going to be in charge and then Jesus comes proclaiming about it and so the expectation now is ramped up. Jesus is here. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's demonstrating it. John has pointed to him saying, this is the one. And so Jesus then takes his disciples aside and he begins to teach them, which is what we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when we get to the Beatitudes, we have to talk about the first word, this blessed. What does it mean? Or blessed, if you've been around church a long time. Blessed. The, the Beatitudes, the name that, that we hang on this section, is, comes from the Latin, beatus, meaning happy or blissful, which gives you a hint to kind of what Jesus is trying to teach you. And the word there, the Greek word, is makarios, uh, and the, the, the meaning behind that word is like happy, fortunate, flourishing, blessing. Um, and when Jesus would have spoken that to his leaders, it would have got their attention. Because a lot of the people who came to him were feeling downtrodden by the Romans, poor, outside, ostracized. And when Jesus starts talking about blessing, you're blessed, that would have definitely got their attention. But unfortunately for us in the English when you're translating from one language to another, when we find that now, um, it's sometimes hard to find a single word to sum up what you're trying to get across. And that's what we find here. Most English translations have blessed as that translation. Some put happy, uh, but that's a little trite. 
And what we're trying to go is, what does this word mean? What English word can we use to describe it? And bless is kind of the one, the best one we've come up with, but it doesn't capture everything. Because when we think of being blessed, we often think of something external coming upon us. I am blessed. Something happens to us. Something good happens. Someone gives us something. But actually, that isn't the full sense of the meaning. Uh, a way that we can help us understand is we go back into the Old Testament and see how it's used there. When the Greek was used in the Old Testament, we find it in Psalm 1, verse 1. It begins like this. Blessed, same word, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so the picture there is of this tree with deep roots going down, taking nourishment from the waters that are around. And as a result, it flourishes and it grows and it matures in a good way. And the concept that we have to take from that Old Testament to bring into our New Testament when we read this is the concept of blessed means living in accordance with God's covenant with his people and his law. And so as we live in accordance with what God has called us to, to be his covenant people, Israel, then the church, we are now to live with that. Because of that, we are blessed. We are flourishing. We are growing. And what we find in Psalm 1 verse 1 and Matthew 5 is that actually blessed means the act of human flourishing. It's us growing in our knowledge and love and relationship with God and ultimately becoming more and more like him. Because if you go to the end or into the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus telling people that they must be perfect like their heavenly father is perfect. And what he's talking about there is you must be complete, mature, growing up. In God, And so as we're blessed living in accordance with what God has called us to, we grow up in him and ultimately become complete in him. And that's what he's talking about. So it's not so much something that comes on outside of us. I'm blessed because I got this promotion from work or someone gave me something. It's blessed and we grow and we live according to his ways, which is what the Beatitudes will work out as we go through them one by one. So I find it helpful to think about the word blessed as flourishing. How do I flourish in the kingdom of God? How do I flourish following Jesus? Well, this is what it means to be blessed, to flourish in him. So the structure of the Beatitudes, if you look at them in your Bible, you will find there are eight plus a ninth. Um, and this is a custom we find elsewhere if you go and look in Proverbs. Six things the Lord detests, seven things the Lord hates, it says, and it gives you the list. It's like this. There are eight plus a ninth here. And the first eight are of a similar form, quite familiar. Blessed are the for they will be or this will happen and then the ninth changes the concept slightly using the same language but it changes the format and it highlights the importance of the eighth by expanding and growing it if you go and look at what the eighth and ninth are and the fact that they're there and they've been expanded in importance gives you an idea of what it means to be hashtag blessed because when we get to those ones that's what Jesus is talking about there and so we have this idea of, so it's blessed are the for they will be, and the language used is incredibly strong and exclusive language. When we get to the four bits, blessed are the poor in spirit, for, and that means them and them alone. It's an exclusive, tight language. So bless, flourishing of the poor in spirit, for only them and them alone is the kingdom of heaven. 
And so there is, a, there is a narrowing language here. When Jesus is talking about those who flourish in the kingdom of God, he is very specific about what it looks like. And so as we read these, we need to take note on them. The first eight can be split into two blocks, both ending with a reference to righteousness. The first four, um, the first four promise present reversal for the humble, and the second block look at future rewards for the faithful. So there's a, a flow to it like that. Um, they, are both, they are both bookended, those sections by reference to the kingdom of God. So it's all about God's kingdom. It begins with God's kingdom. The eighth one ends with God's kingdom. And so we can know what they're talking about. The ninth one, the expansion on the eighth, talks about the present threat and reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and part of God's kingdom. And that is a threat of persecution and rejection. And if you look at it closely, there is a flow between all eight. If you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you have to start with the first one, which is that you are, you are poor in spirit. And we'll look at more. Ben and I are going to look at that next week, what that means. But it begins with being poor in spirit. And those who are poor in spirit will then mourn and so on and so forth. And so as you go through, they build on one another. And they speak of what it means of a life transformed by Jesus. They, they talk about um, what it means for a heart that has been changed. This is not the normal state for a sinful, broken humanity. It is the state of a life transformed by the kingdom of God breaking in. They talk about the grace of God being present in your life. They're not based on your merit and what you can do. They're present, uh, they're, they talk about what the Spirit does in us and how it works. They cannot be achieved by us working harder. They are achieved by God working in us. And they have links back to the Old Testament with the kingdom of God, back to Eden. But they also have view forward to the new heavens and the new earth when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. What it means for us to walk in light of that, living in the tension of the kingdom of God's come, but it's not fully come. How do we do it? What do we look like as kingdom of God's, um, as men and women in the kingdom of God? And there's also plenty of persecution in there which is the present reality of those who choose to follow Jesus and they are completely and fully summed up in the person of Jesus if you want any commentary on what they look like we look only to one place which is Jesus himself he is the ultimate fulfillment of the Beatitudes he is the ultimate fulfillment of everything we read in our Bible Old and New Testament and they sum it up because he is the one who was rich yet became poor came to earth and ushered in the kingdom of God. He was the one who mourned for the state of this world and brings comfort to those who call on him. He is the one who is meek and humble, yet owns the whole world. He is the one who is totally righteous and satisfies all who come to him. He is the one who is endlessly merciful to sinners who call upon him. He is the one who is totally pure. And when we look to him, we see the very face of God. He is the son of God and brings peace and reconciliation between man and God. And he is the one who was persecuted and evil was spoken about him and he was reviled and rejected. And yet through that, the kingdom of God came to sinners like you and me. And so as we look at these, as we work through them, as we seek to understand what Jesus was talking about to be hashtag blessed, my prayer for us is that we would see Jesus more clearly. We ultimately would become more like him in our lives and in our walks. And through that, the kingdom of God would come through us and transform the world around us. Amen? That sounds good. All right, let's look at the passage. I'm going to look at the first 
couple of verses, and then we'll get into the kind of the Beatitudes proper next week. And I'm, I'm doing this just to set up, hopefully, what's coming. And so it begins, Matthew uh, 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... Okay, this is the intro to the Beatitudes. It's also the intro to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it begins with seeing the crowds. And so Jesus, in response to what's already happened, so he's been baptized in water, he's been full of the Spirit, he's gone into the desert to be tempted by the devil, he's then come out, he's now proclaiming the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom, and the response of all of that is that crowds came to him and the crowds are kind of represent a separate group to his disciples because he's called them to himself as well but they represent this kind of watching humanity who are all around him and they're there with a kind of an expectation something's going on this guy is talking about the kingdom of God that's pushing all the right religious buttons anti-Roman sentiment hot button issue and then he, but he's also demonstrating it by praying for the sick and casting out demons. And so what follows when we read it is a response of Jesus in terms of seeing the crowds. So seeing Jesus is seeing what's happened, his public ministry as a government. As he begins to see that and the manifestation of that, he then teaches into that. And so what did it say do? He says he went up a mountain. He ascends the mountain, which from where the Sermon on the Mount gets its name. So he goes up a mountain. We do not know which mountain it is, but there is speculation. If you're interested in that, you can look that up. But what we do know is in our Bibles, mountains are places of revelation and encounter with God. If you think about when people go up on mountains, Moses, Elijah, they meet God, something significant happens. And so what we've got here is Matthew in writing his gospel. He is setting something up. He didn't need to mention that detail, but he is. He has. And so he's setting up. Jesus is ascending the mountain. And there's an expectation when someone goes up the mountain that they are going to meet with God and hear from God and bring a revelation and what Jesus is doing in here, uh, sorry, not with Jesus, what Matthew is doing with Jesus, he is setting him up as a new and greater Moses. A new and greater Moses. If you take a step back and if you look at the gospel of Matthew as a whole, it's broken down into five teaching blocks that are separate, that are broken up by sort of activities and things Jesus do. And this is the first teaching block of the gospel of Matthew. Why is that significant? Well, the first five books of the Bible are known as the books of Moses. They are the law. They're the ones that the Jews look back to. Some of the Jews only took them. Others took the the prophets and the histories as well. And And Matthew is setting Jesus up as a new Moses who will teach the new fulfilled law to his people. And this is the first block of teaching. As well as that, he's chosen to highlight in Jesus' life similarities to Moses. He chose the one who chose to mention the slaughter of the innocents at Bethlehem after Jesus' birth by King Herod. Who else survived the slaughter of the innocents at their birth? Moses in Exodus chapter 1. We see the flight from the land at God's direction. 
Moses fled from the land of Egypt to return. Jesus went to the land of Egypt only to return to his people. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness like Israel spent 40 days in the desert. He passed through the Jordan to enter the promised land and proclaim the kingdom of God. Just like the people of God passed through the Jordan into the promised land. And we've got the structure of the gospel as a whole. Jesus has come as a new Moses to lead his people out of slavery. Not to the Romans, but to sin. Jesus has come as to proclaim the kingdom of God and saying, you have a oppressive, tyrannical master like Pharaoh in Egypt, only this one is graver and more pervasive, and I want to lead you to freedom. And I'm the new one who's come to do that. So Jesus ascends the mountain as the new Moses, and he brings divine revelation, not because he goes to meet God, but because he is God. He is God the Son, and he's ascending the mountain to bring revelation to his people, just like Moses went up Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, the law for his people. He is coming to bring revelation to his people. And so the law, this sounds like a new law for God's people. What Jesus is going to proclaim now, just like the law, Ten Commandments, the building of the tabernacle represented to Israel in Exodus in the wilderness. Jesus is the greater Moses who's coming to fill the ancient promises and purposes of God to lead his people out of slavery into freedom and into his kingdom. And so Matthew is setting this up as Jesus goes up the mountain. Then it says he sat down. (laughs) Was he tired? No. No. It might have been, but he, that's not the point here. The point is, as we see throughout the gospel and later, is when someone wants to sit and teach authoritatively, they sit. You see other references in the gospel. Teachers at that point would sit themselves down. I don't know what happened. Why has it changed? Why do I have to stand and you sit? It should be the other way around. But that's, that's where it was then. Teachers of the law would sit and their pupils would stand before them. And they would be the ones teaching. And so sitting is a position of authority. So Matthew is saying, Jesus has come. By the way, he's just like Moses. Look at all the stuff he's got. He's going to go up the mountain. He's God come. And he's now sitting down ready to teach his people. And then it says, the next bit, it says, his disciples came to him. And we've seen them in the previous chapter. Jesus has called his disciples. They're his closest followers. And so ultimately he is delivering his teaching to his disciples, those who stay closest to him, his people, the people who've bought into him, who've come to follow him. The crowds are there. They get to listen. And if you skip to the end of the sermon, you'll find that the crowds have been earwigging and listening to, and they're amazed about what's happening. But primarily, it's the disciples who come to him, and Jesus is delivering a teaching to them of what it means to live in his kingdom. There is wider application but first and foremost, the disciples are the ones who come to him. And then it says, really strangely, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Okay, what's the obvious problem there? If you're going to teach anyone, what is implicit in that teaching? You have to open your mouth. Unless you're trying ventriloquism. Wouldn't recommend it. But there is. But why is the why has Matthew put that in there? It's unusual imagery. But Matthew is very clear on his choice of words of why he's done it. It's very clear why he's put that in there because that imagery comes up uh, in the Old Testament, in Job, in Psalms, in Daniel, later in Matthew, later in Acts, and it's basically saying when he speaks. 
The imagery is the imagery of God speaking. And when the Lord Almighty opens his mouth to speak, you better be listening. You better be listening. So it is again underlining what Matthew is saying. This is an important message for his people. Jesus has come. There's all the prophetic promises from the Old Testament he's fulfilled. He's demonstrated stuff. He's now ascended the mountain, the place of revelation. He sat down, my goodness. Then he's opened his mouth to speak the words of God to his people. And so there is an important message that is being laid out there by Matthew for his people. He is going to deliver to them the law like Moses delivered it to the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus. There's going to be that moment where God spoke. And when he spoke in the Old Testament, people fell on their faces and they covered their ears because the voice of God was overwhelming. And the presence of God dwelt on the mountain and there was thunder and lightning and smoke. And it was an awesome revelation. And Matthew is setting up as Jesus comes to speak to his people, then and now, He's coming to deliver an authoritative message, a message that his people need to listen to, his people need to take note of, his people need to be shaped by, his people need to honor it, to obey it, to take it on board in their life and let it have an outworking and an action. And as we go through these Beatitudes one at a time, That is what we need to come with the attitude and the expectation that God is speaking to us through his son via the gospel writer who has written it down for us that we can learn from it. And so it's not a case of, oh, there's just those funny sayings that we find in the Bible. No, this is the word of God being preached to his people about what it means to grow and flourish in the kingdom of God. Can you see the importance of the 10 verses that follow for us as God's people? Okay, a few bits of application and then we will finish and worship. As we go into this, let me tell you a few things I'd love you to do to get ready for this series. The first one, set the posture of your heart. Set the posture of your heart. As I've studied these, as I'm preparing and as I'm going to continue to do as we go through these series... They are uncomfortable reading when you start boiling it down. They challenge our current way of living. They challenge what it means to be in the comfortable West when life, generally speaking, is pretty easy. We have universal health care. We have a benefit system. We have stable government. And you might not like them or agree with them. And there's an election coming. You can express it there. But generally, people like to live in this country for those kind of things. But actually, they can stand at violent odds to what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And they can lull us into a false sense of security of what it really means to follow Jesus and to be blessed by him, to be part of his kingdoms. And so what it's going to mean for us as a people as we go through this is we're going to be made uncomfortable. It's going to cause us to repent of bad attitudes, sinful attitudes and actions on how we act and how we interact with our lives and others and what we think, and it's going to challenge that. And so my, heart, my question kind of for you and my challenge for you is, are you willing to change the posture of your heart? 
Are you willing to come back to God and rely on his grace to reject merits? Like, I can earn this. I can do this. I've got this. We're smart. We're educated in this part of the world. We know stuff. We have access to stuff. We can work things out. But the reality is, when Jesus speaks, no, you can't. You can't. You have to come back to him and rely on him. So what is the posture of your heart? Even now, as you came to this this morning, what was the posture of your heart when it comes to hearing the things of God? Do you need to change? Do you need to repent even now as we begin this series together? Second thing, I'd love you to read the Beatitudes. I'd love you to take that little section we've read. We're going to plan on reading it every week. So I'll just be another reminder. But why don't you make an act of reading them daily? To yourselves. Read them out loud. Read them slowly. Let the words do the word of God have its work in you. You might want to try reading it in different translations. Some of you have apps, Bible apps. You just click, click, and suddenly it's a different translation, which doesn't just help in trying to keep it fresh. We're doing it with our boys at home. We've read it and we've tried it a few, few different translations as well just to try and get the understanding out so we can talk to them about it. Think on them. Dwell on them. Ask God to give you revelation as you read. If you have children or young people in this um, church family, ask them what they're learning out in kids' work because they're doing this too. They're doing an Iron Blessed series. Learn, talk with them over dinner. Ask them what's happening. If we've got other ideas, we're going to mail some out to you, so keep an eye on the emails about things you can do to learn one. Learn with them. Another one, write them out. Good challenge. Get a journal, notebook, scrap of paper, whatever, and write one of the Beatitudes on each piece or each page. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Write it out. And then just leave it blank and ask God to speak to you through it. And then anything you find you hear, just note it underneath. We're going to be looking at each one in turn, so there'll be a bit more. But even as you read them themselves, even as you write them out, even as you think about them, let them have a, an effect on your life. Get a journal, get a notebook, whatever works for you. But do something. You might even, oh, some of you might want digital versions. That's fine too. Make a note on your phone thingy or your pad and... Write it out, but do something. Give you space for let it, it have its way and you. Think about it. Read them. Come back through the day. Let it have its work. Let it challenge you on what it means to be hashtag blessed. We've also got a couple of books. Come be new services without recommending the book. I've got some books here. There are two books I've read. Uh, Melanie will come and give them out. If you want some, you can wave to her. There's a couple of books I've read on the Beatitudes um, that are helpful that you can just read alongside if you want to do that as well do that but use this as an opportunity we're going to be in this a while as we roll down to Easter then come back use an opportunity to study God's word think about what it means next week we'll be looking at the first one blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven but that's probably enough for today isn't it can the band come up can the rest of you stand I just want to pray for you Oh. just give your shoulders a move give a wiggle some of you look cold some of you look warm maybe you want to open your hands close your eyes I'm just going to pray for us for you and then we're going to worship
I believe as we get into this series, this is just merely an extension of stuff we've already looked at today, uh, this year, sorry. As Jesus shepherds us through the valley, by the still waters, lays a table for us, God is going to speak to us as we look at these and what it means to follow him, what it means to be hashtag blessed, what it means to flourish and grow in his kingdom together. And what I kind of want to ask you now this morning is, are you willing to continue following the shepherd as we do this? Are you willing to enter in? And only you can answer for yourself in this situation. Are you willing to be challenged? Are you willing to be led into places that think, that looks uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't like the look of that. But are you willing to be challenged? And, And you're going to respond now between you and the Lord. I'm just going to pray for you while you do that. So maybe you close your eyes, you open your hands, and ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us as your people that we would know your presence here? Lord God, I want to start by saying, I want to be someone who is hashtag blessed in your kingdom. I want to be someone who grows and flourishes in your kingdom. Lord, I want my thinking to be challenged and shaped and formed by your world. So your word, not the world, not the culture, not the latest trending thing, not the latest attitude or hot button issue. I want it to be shaped by your word and what you said. And Lord, I want to be someone who is poor in spirit, someone who mourns, someone who is meek, someone who is merciful and seeks peace. And I want to understand what they mean so I can see your kingdom come in this place. Lord God, I want to repent of my bad attitudes. I want to repent of my worldly thinking when I only think blessings are happening when everything's good and right (laughs) and I've got all the nice stuff I want and everything's comfortable. God, that isn't a bad thing per se. But that's not what you meant when you said it in the Beatitudes. Lord God, I want us to be a hashtag blessed people as we seek to serve you and follow you. So maybe I'll just give you a space. Maybe you just make your own prayer there. You've heard mine. Talk to the Lord about how you want to respond to this. And then we'll worship together.